to the $100 MBA show, the best in business to help you better your business every single day with our daily 10-minute business lessons for the real world. I'm your host, your coach, your teacher, Omar Zenhome. I'm also the co-founder of Webinar Ninja, an independent software company I started with my co-founder back in 2014. And today's episode is an extended interview episode. This is a special type of episode, a new format that we've been experimenting with recently. We've been getting a lot of positive feedback about this type of episode. It's a little bit longer, a little bit more in depth, so you're in for a treat. Today, we are so lucky to have today's guest. I sat down with Amir Salafendich, who is the CEO and founder of Doist. Doist is the company behind Todoist, which is one of the most popular apps, period. A productivity app that has over 25 million users. Over the years, Amir and I have become fast friends, but I wanted to bring him on the show. I wanted to have a discussion with him and get into his beautiful mind because it's really a gold mine in there. So many great things we discuss and uncover in this discussion, from his biggest failure as an entrepreneur, to why he doesn't really stress his numbers too much, to the power of freedom and his advice for those who are starting out. Today's episode is so, so interesting. I love the discussion. I can't wait to share with you. So let's get into it. Let's get down to business. Support for today's show comes from Google Domains. If you've been a listener of the show for some time, you know how much I love Google Domains. I use them for all our domains. In fact, I transferred any domain I have outside of Google Domains into Google Domains because it's just so easy to use, it's great value, and it comes with a ton of tools. When you're ready to introduce your new idea to the world, it starts with a name. Google Domains makes it simple to establish your business identity with a domain name, a website, and a ton of other tools to help make your business a reality. Establish your business online at domains.google slash 100MBA and use code 100MBA for 20% off a new domain purchase or transfer. Terms and conditions apply. Visit domains.google slash 100MBA for more details. Today's extended interview discussion with Amir Salafendich is a really honest one. I think Amir was incredibly generous with his time, and a total open book. Amir, my book, is one of the most successful entrepreneurs I know, not only because his business is doing well and they're making money and they got you know over 25 million users, but because he built the business that he loves, he built a business on his terms that suits his life. And you'll learn in today's discussion, it wasn't always that way. You learned a lot of hard lessons in his early years. He's also the founder and CEO of two products, Todoist, the very popular app, as well as Twist, which I think is absolutely brilliant. It's a great way for remote teams to work asynchronously. And we talk about asynchronous work because it's becoming more and more important this day and age with everybody going remote, working from home, and the realization how important communication is to an organization and that that communication doesn't have to be live. We're going to jump into the conversation with Amir, but I'll be back to wrap up today's episode, give my takeaways, and even give you a bit of a homework assignment. Let's jump into the discussion with Amir Salafendich right now. Amir, so awesome to have you here on the show, on the podcast, to have this conversation with you. Uh, Amir Salafendich, just so nice to, to finally kind of dig deep because we met each other 
in Bali in a conference running remote. And we just had a great time getting to know each other. We laughed a lot. We had a good time, but I never really got a chance to ask you any businessy questions. So I'm really actually interested in learning a little bit more about you and your philosophy when it comes to how you run your businesses. Uh, so, so happy to have you, man. Omar, it's a pleasure to be here. And yeah, I'm very, you know, happy to to talk about like our radical uh, different, uh, like business strategy. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, we're gonna we're gonna definitely dig into that. Um, as I mentioned, uh, Amir is a CEO and founder of Doist, which is the company that creates the products to Doist, uh, which has over 5 million users and uh, Twist, which is a great product. If you want to start uh, saving yourself some headaches and hair and gray hairs. Like we talked earlier off mic, uh, in terms of working with your team, it's a great asynchronous app. We'll talk and talk a little bit more about twist and, and their philosophy there in a moment. Um, but I, I, I want to back up a little bit because a lot of people see somebody like you and they say, wow, you know, I've heard of uh, to do is a great app, you know, twist sounds amazing. Um, but they don't know that this is not something that you did overnight. You know, it, it took years and years of reps and some failures. So I want to start today's conversation with maybe you can share with us, um, what was one of your first business failures? Um, you know, I think like one of the biggest, uh, failures of my career, I, I wouldn't actually say it's a failure. Uh, like it's like doing a social network. That was like one of my first, uh, Actually, you know, I, I was like 22, 23 when I started that. Um, and that kind of like taught me a lot of things that, that I didn't want to do in my life. Um, so, mm. um, yeah, I mean, for instance, like working on something that you're not like super passionate about. So like, you know, I'm like not a super social person. Uh, I don't really care that much about like social networks. Uh, and I really felt like I was optimizing like wasting people's time instead of like, you know, empowering people and helping them like get stuff done. Um, yeah. So that's maybe like one of the things. Um, and then also, you know, like uh, all working. Uh, so I was like basically working like 80 hour weeks, uh, maybe even more. Like I was basically working all the time, uh, like including weekends. Uh, I always didn't, mm. didn't really take any vacations. And the reason is also like, you know, social networks, they grow a lot. So I think like we, we got like 10 million users in like the first six months. Uh, so, you know, mm. you go like on a hyper scale. And the problem with that is kind of like, it's really, uh, I was like a CTO of this thing. Uh, and I didn't Oof. really know anything about like scaling social networks. And it was based like fire fighting, like, you know, 24 seven, um, yeah, and then you know, combine this with just not having like a business model as well. Uh, so mm. you know, like we built something that was popular, but like that didn't make any money, and we were, like super dependent on like investors. Uh, yeah, and uh, yeah, I mean honestly, like there's like a whole storyline there, but you know, a lot of the stuff that I did with Doist, uh, like afterwards, was kind of like what. Uh, you know, like basically the opposite of what I did in, in my first company. Uh, yeah. I mean, there's nothing more opposite from a social, social, uh, networking kind of app to a, you know, productivity app. So, <laughs> so it's, it's pretty, uh, you know, it's interesting because they say that uh, the easiest way to find out what you want to do is to do a bunch of things you don't like doing. 
Um, and I have a similar story. Like I used to have my own clothing line, one of my first businesses, and it was actually quite like in terms of a business, it was successful and we were scaling, but like you, uh, as many of my listeners know, I found out that my customers were more passionate about the product than I was. Like, I, I just felt a little bit like I, I shouldn't be leading these people because they love this more than I do. <laughs> you know, I just saw a business opportunity and I learned what kind of entrepreneur I wanted to be and what kind of business I wanted to run. Um, so I love that, that, you know, even if it, from the outside, it might look good, you know, to, for you and your lifestyle, it was sort of a failure or sort of a, um, a, a learning point, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, um, and that's the thing. It's kind of like it's optics, you know, uh, because like on the outside, mm. like, you know, I was like 20 something, like I was worth like millions on paper. Uh, but you know, <laughs> like, like, uh, like my inner, uh, like, um, perception was kind of like very dark. Uh, and, uh, you know, I was also like just getting like burned out and I really felt like, right. miserable. so like, you know, even, you know, and that's, I think that was something like a hard lesson I have learned is like, uh, you know, um, if you don't actually have inner happiness or inner peace, like any kind of achievement will not actually make you ha happier, you know, like, because at that time, you know, like we were growing like crazy, you know, uh, blah, blah, blah. Like there was a lot of stuff, but like, my inner uh, happiness wasn't there. So like, you know, all of that right. didn't really matter. Um, so that's something, you know, like I would recommend people. It's kind of like, um, you know, being like this milestone driven, like if only, you know, I can reach like 1 million in revenues, I would be super happy. Or like, if only I can get like to that milestone or, or this milestone, you know, it's kind of just like chasing, um, uh, you know, and you will actually never stop the chase. So that's also something I figure out is like, you know, like the chase will never actually end. So like, it's better just to be like find happiness in the present moment with, with the stuff that you got, like, you know, um, and then of course, like you should have some dreams and, and goals in life, but, uh, you know, don't like offset your happiness for later. Uh, <laughs> I love that because it reminds us to realize that, you know, what we have is today, a lot of us as entrepreneurs, uh, by nature, we're optimists and we think the future is always going to be better. Uh, that's not always necessarily true, you know, so you, maybe your best days are right now, so you better enjoy it. So, so I love that advice because it, it's a good reminder, uh, you know, you know, both, of, both you and I have, you know, over, you know, 15, 20 years of experience, but these reminders are important because, you know, we are in the world of high achievement and it's very common to think that, you know, you have to always hit a milestone or you're not, you know, you're not doing well. Um, I'm a big believer that your philosophy in life really will dictate your success in what you do, what you believe in your own personal philosophy. Um, and your personal philosophy is really shaped by the experiences you've had in your life. Um, both you and I are, uh, children of immigrant parents. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you were born in Bosnia and moved to, to Denmark. Right. And, uh, I want to learn a little bit more about how has that experience shaped you as a person growing up as an immigrant, you know, adapting to a new culture, adapting to a new lifestyle, uh, you know, sort of being different amongst your peers. How, how did that affect you, uh, growing up and how has it impacted you as an entrepreneur? 
Yeah, I mean, that's such a, a great question, Omar. And uh, yeah, you know, like I think something, um, there's like a lot of like uh, privilege talk, you know, like <laughs> coming from a privileged background. And honestly, like I have been very privileged, like growing up in Denmark has been a huge privilege uh, in itself. Uh, but, you know, I think just like being born or like have an opportunity to work or like grow up in like a Western uh, society or just like a, you know, a, like a, a country that kind of works is a huge privilege in itself. Like it opens so many doors. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, something to note as well is like, um, like my story, um, like I think like something that is very positive with, with my history is like, I have actually used the, like these disadvantages kind of to strengthening myself uh um so um and also just like looking at my parents and honestly like, i think like my parents are kind of like those that struggled the most like they lost everything in the war they had to rebuild from mm -hmm. scratch they didn't know the language mm -hmm. uh, and also like they were super hard workers as well you know like you talk about like <laughs> hard work and like you know like uh like even like when i work the hardest days like my parents probably worked that like almost every day because you know they would get up we had a grocery store in denmark and they would gotta get up like at, at 5 a.m in the morning to like buy stuff for the grocery and then they would leave at like eight or nine at night uh so that was like their work day and they also work weekends uh almost no vacation as well uh, so that's kind of like my background it's kind of like looking at people that were really uh like super hard working but also like you know, um, like my, my, my dad, uh, like he had a drive, uh, you know, like he could easily have just like social security in Denmark is like really, really good. He could just said like, fuck this. I just want, you know, to be on social yeah. secu security and not work. And that is possible in Denmark. Uh, but like, he really wanted to, to create his own thing and kind of like be his own boss and like, uh, you know, earn his own living, uh, and, you know, he paid also a huge price for that. Uh, and I think that the whole family did. So, uh, like, you know, uh, so just to give you, like, my story a bit is, like, like uh, growing up, I didn't actually have vacations. So, like, most of vacations would be spent helping out in the grocery store. And I fucking hated that, mm. you know, like, uh, because mm. I really love computers. I love, uh, like, tinkering, you know, programming, creating stuff on the computer. I didn't love to, like, you know, put groceries on the shelf uh and service customers uh uh yeah so uh, you know i i grew up and, and actually like one of my dreams uh i remember this clearly as a child was kind of like i really wanted my, my parents to have a normal job like a factory job you know they would like work from nine to five they would come home uh and not like this grueling uh, uh like work they did and honestly, like, I would never imagine myself to start my own business because I just saw, like, you know, the commitment that you actually had to do it, to, to, to start your own thing and, and, like, be your own boss. Like, uh, yeah, yeah. So that's kind of, like, my, my, my story. And then, of course, like, it's all connected. You know, I came to Denmark as well. Uh, and I started school, like, in fourth grade, like, real school in fourth grade. You know, I couldn't really speak the language properly. So I had, like, a huge disadvantage. Uh, and uh, even like, um, 
Frankly, you know, there's a lot of stories there, but just to give you an example of this is like um, in, in Denmark, there's also like a promotion system. So like they actually recommend what path you, you, you want to do after you're done, like with primary school. And the recommended path for me was kind of like uh, uh, not going to a high school uh, or like gymnasium. Oh my God. Because like, you know, and I was also like an awful student as well. Like that didn't really help the... Yeah. The, but you know they, they basically didn't think I would actually be very good like uh, in, in like a more higher education uh, yeah so they wanted me to have like a practical uh, uh, you know like being a, like something where you work with your hands and not your mind uh, yeah yeah and the reason for this is basically you know like combining all of this and combining with a started very late that uh, I basically like didn't have a lot of discipline and stuff like that. You know, that that's kind of like, uh, uh, <laughs> I fully understand that. Like I don't blame a, a, anybody, but you know, it's just like, uh, yeah, uh, a bit of the history. I love that. Um, because I can totally relate, you know, totally relate. My, my parents immigrated from Egypt to the U S um, and had to start with zero and they both, were university graduates, but the U S didn't recognize their degrees. My mom had to learn a new language, learn, get her degree all over, had to be an elevator operator, take odd jobs so she could pay through school, you know? So when you grow up in that environment of ultimate sacrifice, you're, you're, you're going to a country they don't know anybody there. They're changing their whole life. When you're growing up in that environment, really there's no excuse. Like there's no excuse for you not to behave and to be, do what you're supposed to be doing and try your best. And the other thing is when you grow up in an immigrant family, I feel like um, immigrants are all about seeking out opportunities. The reason why they left their country is because they want a better opportunity. So you don't squander opportunity. And I feel like I inherited that from my parents. It's just like, if you see an opportunity, you should appreciate, be grateful. Um, and, a lot of people ask me, I remember when we were at running remote, one of the questions I got on stage, like, how do you motivate yourself every day? I'm like, well, I don't know what you're talking about motivate myself. Like, um, I'm just grateful. I get to, I get to do what I get to do every day. Like I'm, I, I am lucky that I can work hard on my products and services and my customers, you know, like there's so many people that don't have that situation. And obviously that's, that hits home for you directly. And, you know, coming from Bosnia, I was very war-torn country. But um, I, I, I definitely have a lot of respect for that history of yours because I'm sure it seeped in somehow in your success as an entrepreneur. I mean, most definitely, Omar. I think like, you know, I think actually like it's an it's advantage that we have and not really a disadvantage. Yeah. Actually, something like I'm thinking about, like for my kids, I have two kids. Is basically like how to mm. make their life like harder, <laughs> because uh, yeah. like you know, like if you just grow up and have like everybody everything served on a silver plate, you don't actually have any struggle. Right. You know, I don't really think like you grow and you learn. Uh, yeah, so that's something that I'm actively thinking about. Let Let's make it you know, set the notch, uh, you know, a level a bit harder so they don't get it served everything. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Put the, put the setting on difficult a little bit. <laughs> I love it. When we first met in Bali, um, my first impression of you was that you're a very non-traditional SaaS founder. Um, what do I mean by that? Let's drill into some of those things and why I felt that way. Uh, the first thing, number one, is um, 
it, w- it became very clear to me that you and your company don't really closely follow metrics. Like you obviously have metrics, but it's not something you guys totally obsess over and celebrate and everything's driven by that. That's the first thing I was like, wow, this is a little bit different. Never, never seen somebody like this. <laughs> Number two was, you know, you're, you're a large, you know, larger type of uh, startup business, you know, you're not really startup I've been here, you know, for a decade. So, um, you know, but you have 80 plus staff members, you have no, you know, uh, headquarters, your team is totally remote you know, across the world. Uh, the third thing that I thought was very interesting, like my team, uh, you guys believe in asynchronous first where communication, it should be asynchronous before it becomes synchronous where you have to chat in real life, whether on, you know, chat channels or video or meetings. Um, in fact, you shared a story with me that you have a team member that you never even spoken to or even seen and they're part of your team and they're producing work. Um, which for most people would probably think that's really uncomfortable, you know, so I'm going to drill into some of these things because I want to learn a little bit more about um, why you chose to build this type of business. Um, so let's talk about the metrics thing first, you know, like I, I've, I've, you know, read a, a few articles about you, I've seen some other interviews. Um, and when we had some chats, I noticed that, you know, it's not such a big deal at Doist and why? Yeah, um, I mean that's a great question, and 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 honestly, like there's some pull from the company to be more metrics driven, uh, but I guess like you know the thing is like we are really like creators and builders at the heart of it, and what we really enjoy is mm-hmm. like, building stuff and creating stuff for others, you know, uh, and that's kind of the passion. The passion isn't really to hit like some numbers in the dashboard, <laughs> you know. Uh, so, so, uh, uh, and whenever I see that, you know, I'm just like, I'm very, um, I, you know, I think it's also my personality is like, I have been in like a metric driven business, you know, and for me, that's not really my passion. Like my passion is building, you know, stuff, uh, and doing with people that are super yeah. talented. Uh, so that's kind of like the, 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 the motivation. And then of course, um, you need to have like some data informed. Uh, so like you actually need to, yeah, for your decisions. Uh, yeah. yeah. You need to make sure that what you're building actually is making a difference uh, the direction that you mm. headed is actually the right one. So actually like over the last couple of years, like I think we have become much better, like data informed. Uh, so we actually mm-hmm. have like some way of like measuring on the right direction, but it's not like, um, you know, like when we do something like, let's say that, that we have like completely revamped recently twist, like there's no metric. Yeah. That, 2.0. Yeah. Uh, there's like kind of a side to that. Like, you know, there's no like, Oh, like, you know, we need to hit like 15% yeah. growth or whatever. So how do you motivate the team? Uh, how do you motivate the team? If it's not number one, I mean, it's basically the vision, you know, like what are we actually building? Why are we building that? Uh, you know, what's the position of this product? Like, why do, would it matter in the marketplace? Mm. And that also reflects in, like, the marketing of this. Like, it's very, uh, uh, you know, like, it, it, it's, um, it, you know, like, it's very, like, kind of position to everything else inside the market. Yeah. And, and that's kind of, like, I think, the driving force. It's kind of, like, more, like, being mission-driven and driven by the why than, like, you know, uh, some data points. Uh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So remote team, 
Uh, you have around 80 uh, employees actually, or team yeah. members? A hundred yeah, now. Yeah. Okay. Wow. That's incredible. Um, so uh, how has it been? I know you've been doing the remote thing way before the pandemic, but how has it been for you in terms of um, creating the culture and the procedures and the just practices across your team to run a well-oiled machine, even though you guys are remote and people are across the world? Uh, yeah, I mean, that's a great question, Omar. And, and I think that's something uh, to note, like, you know, our whole philosophy is that the current way that we are working is broken and we kind of like need to create mm. and invent a new way. So that's kind of like the, the company mission. <laughs> and, uh, you know, that's kind of like our starting point. And that means that a lot of stuff that we actually do inside this is kind of like challenging the status quo or like thinking from the first principles and we do that mm. across like many fields, including like, you know, people ops uh, stuff, like the way that we do product development, the, the way that we do like design or engineering. Um, yeah. So honestly, uh, you know, like there's like so much stuff and we like blog so much about this as well. So like if you go and I blog, like, you know, yeah. uh, we have like a, a share all of, all, all of the stuff. And if you have like a specific problem, as a listener, like, you know, uh, we have blog probably blogged about that <laughs> or like we have our own like way of doing that, that could maybe be inspiring, uh, for, for the person. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think one of your secret weapons as a remote team and something that we've adopted more and more, <clears throat> and if I'm going to be hundred percent honest, um, you influenced us in a big way. When I met you at Bali, I learned a little bit more about your philosophy on asynchronous first. And we, we were doing this, but it wasn't a mindful thing. We, we didn't really, you know, I don't want to say enforce it, but we didn't really didn't encourage the team to really think about how can I communicate this in a way that doesn't disrupt the other teammates workflow. Um, and I, so you guys are champions of async first, and I want you to talk a little bit about how did that happen? Like, how did you guys come up with this? you know, philosophy, this understanding, this, uh, this idea that, Hey, you know what? I think this is a better way to work. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, the thing is like, we were not always like asynchronous first. So initially we actually, mm -hmm. we did use Slack. Um, and you know, like, like I said, like we are really creators. Uh, so the problem mm -hmm. for us is like, we saw like what it did to actually our, our creative process, you know, like being this, like disturbed all day long, um, not being able to really disconnect. And then also like being stuck in meetings as well. Like that isn't really like the best environment to create like, you know, uh, a great work, like great creative work. Because if you're like a writer, you know, designer, developer, or even like a market, like mm. almost any field, like it really requires like deep thinking, um, like most knowledge work requires like deep thinking and, you know, being able to like block a lot of time uh, to do the, the deep work that's required. Um, and what we saw is basically like the whole market was just like focused on like, you know, real-time communication, chit-chat, uh, you know, being interrupted all the time, like doing multitasking all the time. And we're just like, you know, this, this feels like completely wrong. Like, um, and then mm. we looked on the market and like, nobody was really creating like any products 
for this. And even right now, like it's like uh, we are really like challenging like the status quo, but it seems like the status quo really loves <laughs> like being in meetings all day long and like stuck in these like real time uh, chats. Uh, right. Where so yeah, you know, I think we still have like a long way of actual like uh, like moving more towards like asynchronous first, and even like I think globally, you know, uh, like it's a super niche uh, movement right now, like. There's probably like a handful of companies with all like 50 employees that are asynchronous first, and then really mm-hmm. uh, take that to the core. Of course, like we did have like the GitLab IPO, which is based like you know wow. asynchronous first company worth over 15 billion um, with over like thousand people. Um, yeah, so you know, uh, I think like it's really possible to build something amazing uh, with this. And there's like really no limits of what you can achieve. Um, but, you know, it's a very different way of working and also living, I think. Uh, so, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, what Amir is uh, referring to for those who are listening in terms of the product that they created for AC Commissioners is Twist, um, twist.com. Um, and uh, I, I, I can't, I, you know, I don't know for sure, but I can imagine that being in this type of market, you are, you know, competing with the base camps and the Trellos and the Asanas and the Mondays.com. And I can go on forever Slack and, you know, and you guys are very different from these products in terms of you're saying, you know, uh, let's shut off all the notifications and the distractions and even the banter and all that stuff that can be distracting sometimes. And let's, let's, let, let, let's create a tool that allows you to dip into, Hey, this is what you need to know and check your messages and read the threads and then step out and, and, and be able to live your life and, or, or, step out and just focus on three hours of whatever you do in your, in your team, whether it's marketing or sales or, you know, development or design. Um, so it must be hard because in a way you're, you're pioneering a movement, you know, in a way you're like Airbnb when no one ever thought about renting out their guest room. Right. So I know it's, I, I can only imagine, but like, it must be a bit of a struggle in the beginning, you know, the first few years. Um, can you talk a little bit about like persevering through that struggle and saying, and sticking with it and saying, you know, no, I, I believe this is what we're going to do. And this is what I believe the future is. How do you, how do you stick to your guns? What do you do to kind of motivate your team to, to stay, stay the course? Oh, that's, <laughs> that's a very good question. Omar. And, and, um, I mean, honestly, like something, um, I think like you must be a bit crazy uh, because like most normal people would never do what we are doing, you know? Um, um, uh, yeah. And, and just to give you like some context here, you know, like we already have a very successful product like to do that is like bringing in like, yeah. tens of millions of dollars has a lot of like users. Like we actually don't really need to do twist um, and twist you know, like we have developed this for almost five years now. Uh, like there's no like hockey stick curve, you know, it's basically linear growth for like five years. Um, mm. um, yeah. So, so, you know, it's very, very um, hard, but, you know, for us, it's kind of like more a religion than it is, you know, like, uh, <laughs> like something like, uh, 
you know, like a, a business case for, for this. It's kind of like we right. really believe strongly in this way of working. We really think it's the future and really want to accelerate this. Um, so I think this kind of like, again, like being like more like driven by the mission, believing in the mission mm. and not so much like being driven by the metrics because like if we were driven by the metrics, we were stopped after a year, uh, you know, because uh, it's it just like hard to justify and especially, you know, like building like a world-class communication platform like requires a mm. ton of uh, resource. Like we have probably like spent, like if we just aggregate like the salaries we have spent on this, the people, it's probably like millions of dollars that we have mm -hmm. invested into this. For a small company like us, it's like a huge investment. It's a huge investment yeah. of money in, in energy, uh, you know. You guys are self-funded, right? Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so, uh, and uh, you know, I have like even talked with like some um, um, friends and like VCs about this. Like, you know, most things like we are completely like insane. Uh, but you know, again, like it's like really like believing in the mission. Like the mission is really dri driving this. It's not really like the metrics. Um, and then you know, slowly but surely, you know, you see like asynchronous first popping up more. We have like a company that's kind of like asynchronous first, but but public uh, uh, mm. GitLab. Uh, so you know, it's kind of like taking form. Twist is also like taking off a bit, you know, uh, bit by bit. Yeah. So maybe you know, it will kind of be a snowball effect in the end. But yeah. honestly, like, even if it isn't, like you know, uh, it was super fun. <laughs> it is super fun. Uh, and you know, just like doing something that you believe in and being business driven, like that's really, I think a core thing of what we are good at, at, at this and something I would recommend deeply because, you know, it's kind of like a drive that, that is like hard to, to, to stop. It's kind of like yeah. you know, religion. It's kind of like, you, it's more like belief than actually like, uh, yeah, uh, like factuals. Uh, yeah. But it's, it's very interesting because you get to, you get to do what you believe because, you know, you created to do the app, which took off and is an incredible success, millions upon millions of users, you know, making millions in revenue. You're able to take that success, take what you've learned from that, take the resources and the talent and be able to build something that you really believe in and really can kind of see your future in. Um, and even like you said, even if it's not as big as a success as Todoist, the 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 beauty of business is that you only got to be right once, you know. So <laughs> so everything after that is gravy. So you know, and even if even what I what I always like to say is that sometimes businesses are not all just about the money. Sometimes you get to you get to fulfill a dream. You know, you get to fulfill um, something, a desire inside of you. You want to see something in the world. The reason why I became an entrepreneur is because I was fascinated with this concept or these people called entrepreneurs that can just basically think of something and it manifests in the world. Like, what is this magic? Like, to me, that's what attracted me to entrepreneurship. And to me, that's the beauty of, to do, you know, of, uh, of twists is that you're able to kind of create something that you really believed in um, and you're, and you're moving along and you're doing well. And that's, that's awesome. And I think that I believe it's, it's going to be the future of, of online work because it's the only way you can really uh, you know, 
scale a business for the long term, you know, if you're looking to do short term gains, maybe Chad and blah, blah, blah is fine. But the long term, you have to trust your team. You have to be able to know that they're going to communicate. You got to enforce that practice of open communication. So um, I really do love the fact that you did build Twist and uh, are, are holding that banner of asynchronous first. Uh, That's awesome stuff, man. That is a beautifully put, Omar. Yeah. Yeah. And honestly, <laughs> you know, like, uh, yeah, you know, being like, uh, like doing this is like super hard. Like it's, uh, mm. and uh, I, I, I. You're running two businesses, uh, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, people that are doing this, um, you know, like we have an advantage that we actually have like a cash cow that is to do is like a cow yeah. for that. But like, you know, I could imagine like if we only had twists, like it would be very hard to stay like, <laughs> uh, like on the course because yeah, uh, yeah, uh, yeah. So you know, like maybe I think like um, what could also be a good lesson, and that's also something you learn is like you actually also need to be data informed, like metrics informed at some point uh, to make sure that you're actually on the right course. Um, mm. um, yeah. So yeah. <laughs> That's good. Um, I want to talk a little bit about um, Todoist, uh, which is a fantastic app. I have it on my phone. Um, if you're looking to get more productive, if you just want a simple way to track your to-dos or reminders, um, I love it because I'm a list guy and I, I, I literally write a list every single day um, for work as well as life, you know, pick up milk, all that kind of stuff. So um, you guys have millions of users, over 5 million users, right? Actually, it's like over 25 million. Yeah. Wow. Okay. The, the post I read was really outdated. 25 million yeah. users, right? Um, you guys have a, a, a freemium model. You have a free plan as well as, you know, a premium where they upgrade. Um, I want to talk a little bit about how freemium allowed you to scale your business and what are the lessons you learned through the practice of freemium? Yeah. I mean, um, something to note is like, um, you know, there's like all of this like product-led growth movement that I'm sure that you have heard about. Uh, and actually, like we mm -hmm. were probably like, we didn't know that we were doing that, but like that's basically what we were doing. <laughs> it's kind of like um, you know, using like the freemium as kind of like a marketing tool to get leads. Um, um, so that's you know, that's basically how the business works. It's like you know, you build something, you give uh some of it away for free and even like i think some of the most successful like freemium models is kind of like where you can get a lot of value initially uh, and then at some point once you have received a ton of value you convert to a paying customer um so from from what i've like seen and also read about it's like that is the best strategy and that's also something that we try to apply in into this so actually we have changed our business model as well. Like I think uh, half a year ago, maybe where uh, before it was kind of like uh, feature restrictions. Uh, like we had like 25 feature restrictions on a free version. Uh, we actually removed most of those. We only have a few now. And the idea was like more to go into like limit restrictions. So you actually start like with the best product and then as you like add more data, like, you know, you hit some limits, that's where you upgrade. And that kind of creates a much better mm. user experience. Um, 
And yeah, so like, you know, that fuels into the growth. And also like people are much more likely to upgrade once they've already received a lot of value, you know. Uh, so mm. that's kind of like, you know, the, the framework of freemium and all of this. Uh, yeah. I like that because you get to show the best of the product um, and those who actually use it uh, are going to see the value and then they're going to hit their limit because they use it. And uh, they're more likely to upgrade at that point rather than, you know, just having people trickle in and just kind of, you know, uh, be in and out of the app. I love the idea of rewarding somebody for using it, uh, you know, you know, giving them some sort of, credits or things like that. So I, I'm asking this for selfish reasons because we're moving from a free trial to a free plan on webinar ninja. And, um, we did a lot of research ourselves and, you know, spoke to Patrick Campbell, Profwell, all these guys. And, um, it's been interesting learning that, you know, how behind we are, but, uh, you know, free trial is working us for some time, but we want to kind of open up the funnel and do what you just mentioned, use it as a lead magnet, use it as a uh, way to get uh, targeted leads and use the product as our marketing tool. So uh, awesome stuff. I love that. Um, I, I know you've been working on it to do this uh, a bit longer than twist, uh, but uh, you're constantly, you know, uh, what, what I love about your products is that you don't rush your product. Your products are always solid. You know, I'm sure behind the scenes, you have a couple bug snag uh, errors, but, but I don't see any of these bugs there. It's so smooth. It's great. It's fast. It's a good app. Uh, I feel like your company doesn't feel the urgency to push new features and updates constantly. How, how did that happen? Where did you like kind of rein the horses in your team and say, Hey guys, listen, you know, we don't need to do 5 billion things. We could do five things, but do them right. How did, where did that come from? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a good question as well. <laughs> um, I mean, something to note is um, I really think like, especially like once you're in business for like a decade, uh, it can be very dangerous to just like have a like feature factory um, mm. where you just like spit out features uh, and then in the end like you <laughs> yeah. know uh, you have like this super complicated product that maybe does like a lot of things like in a mediocre way um, and, I know a lot of apps uh, like that yeah yeah and if you look at a lot of like some of our like competitors I won't mention names uh but it's like so like overbloated with stuff. And that's basically because like they keep adding stuff. Uh, and a mm. lot of times, like also, it's actually much easier to add stuff than to remove stuff. <laughs> uh, yeah. So like- it, Kill your darlings and stuff. Uh, yeah. yeah, even with us, like, you know, when we had to like remove some features, you know, it creates like huge revo. Like if you have millions of users, like even if like 1% really hates that, like you will, you will know, you know, and the support team will just be mm -hmm. more flooded with like, angry emails of like, you know, you ruined my life by removing like this. And we know the stats, like we know that yes. nobody uses this, but you know, there's a few percent that does use it and they love that. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Um, and they're a free user. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Most likely they're a free yeah. user. Yeah. Uh, uh, so, so I think like, you know, as, as, a, as a, like a product um, owner uh, and like, um, like, I really think you need to be very careful of mm. not like turning into like a feature factory. 
Uh, and maybe I think like some of the biggest lessons we have learned is like improve the core, like keep improving the mm. core. Um, and also if you look at like the most successful products, um, you know, maybe you can take like WhatsApp as an example. It has actually not yeah. really changed a ton. Uh, and they really nail like the core thing. The core job of the app is really smooth. Same thing with like Google mm-hmm. search or whatever else like, uh, like popular product you see. There's not many products that are just like, you know, features. And then you keep like for years building features uh, because like, you know, uh, and also for customers, like they don't really care. Like they have a core team, a core job that you need to help them with. Um, yeah. So honestly, you know, that's something that I'm very proud of is like we keep, instead of like investing in like fancy features, like we could add so much like bloat, like we really tried to improve mm-hmm. more. And I think this, this has paid off uh, for, for us over the, the years. And I actually wish we could do that even more uh, because we only have like so many features, so much stuff, so much power. Uh, and most of our users, like that, they don't really use most of it. So, <laughs> yeah. Uh, I think this is a huge lesson, regardless if you're in the software business, if you're in e-commerce, if you're doing a service, whatever it is, um, the quality of your product you're offering uh, is not a once and done. It's something that you have to revisit over and over. And this is, I learned this the hard way with Webinar Nutra Software is that Anytime we focus on quality, we focus on refinement in getting rid of technical debt and improving our experience for the customer. This always resulted in happier customers, lower churn, um, just great reviews online, you know, and it's, it's never that feature, that one feature that I think is going to change the world. Like, Oh man, when this feature goes out, we're going to blow up. It's never that because honestly, you know, we, we thought like, okay, we're going to give them a new feature every month. And they're going to think the value of this product is amazing. It keeps getting better for a lot of people. That's too overwhelming. They're just like, this is too overwhelming. They feel guilty because they're not using all these features. And they feel like instead of saying, Hey, here are these core features that we're going to help you in your life or business, whatever it is. Um, just do these. And we, we do them really well. And, and, and for a customer that's so relieving, oh, okay, great. I don't have to you know, do a million things. So it was a hard lesson learned for me for sure. And, um, I definitely am on that, uh, on that bandwagon for sure. Uh, Amir, this has been a great conversation, but I want to wrap up with a, uh, semi-personal question. Um, you know, as entrepreneurs, we can get really busy. We can constantly, uh, maybe be thinking about our business or life or team. Um, and it's important for us to shut off and relax. How do you, uh, like to relax if what's your uh perfect week off your perfect holiday for a week how do you like to relax as as amir yeah that's uh <laughs> uh you know something and i'm going to be honest here like uh and I, i'm sure like a lot of people can relate to this especially like driven people it's like for me shutting off is like really really a huge challenge uh like even if i'm actually not working like my mind is still like spinning um, um, and like switching off and then it goes for like sleep and stuff like that. Like it's really, really hard to, to do that. Um, mm. So what I like to do, like, uh, like for instance, like if I'm vacationing, it's like a lot of physical uh, things like sports, like 
you know, if I, I play a lot of, like, I live in Barcelona, so I play a lot of football. And actually, in Barcelona, you can play, like, football almost all the time <laughs> if you want, mm. uh, which is kind of amazing. Uh, and what I do is, like, I go and play football. And uh, for me, that's kind of, like, uh, a time where my brain actually does shut off. And then I'm just, like, focused, you know, on, on the game. I, could, I really am in the moment. Um, if I go, for instance, for a walk, uh, I actually also like to swim. Like swimming for me is basically like, it's kind of like, yeah, I'm thinking a lot <laughs> because like, it's so boring. You know, like you don't really, uh, like there's, there's not really a game element that kind of pushes you to just like you know, focus on one thing. Um, right. Yeah. So, so for me, like sports is incredibly important. Um, and then of course, like also, uh, I have also like tried to train my brain as well. It's like when I go to, with the kids to a park or something like that, that's usually also where I'm kind of disconnected where I can play with them. Uh, yeah. So, uh, yeah, those are the two things. Uh, and, and of course, I think, um, you know, sometimes like during vacations, uh, like it takes some time, you know, some days to actually get into like the vacation mode. Uh, yeah. It takes a few days to wind down. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, after a while, you know, I can kind of like get, uh, relaxed and, 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 and stuff. Yeah. So like actually some of like my best vacations basically like, uh, going with some friends or like some family, uh, like la- last year we did like a trip to Chile where we went like South of Chile, we rented like a huge house, uh, and just like barbecuing, you know, uh, hanging around, drinking some wine, you know, that is also like a perfect way to unwind. Uh, yeah. I love it. I love it, Amir. Um, and I definitely agree. The idea of uh, immersing yourself in an activity kind of allows your brain to focus on something else. And therefore it, it rests your mind from constantly, you know, the chatter that's going on. Um, that's why I love snowboarding because you're so focused on just, you know, not falling and <laughs> surviving that you're not thinking about anything else. You're just focused on getting down the mountain, which I love. Uh, that's why whenever Nicole and I go on vacation, I love to, uh, like book one excursion a day on the day. So like, I'll, you know, we'll do one activity like, uh, ATVing or the next day we'll do like uh camel riding the next day. We'll do like, just so, because I always feel like those are the happiest moments in life when you're in the moment, like whether you're, uh, you know, enjoying a sunset or you're enjoying a meal and you're, you're with a loved one or a kiss, all these things are all like where you are present in the moment and realizing, okay, this is, this is good. This is what life should be like. I, I should be absorbing this. <laughs> so I really resonate to uh, resonate with what you said about, you know, just, just going all in on a sport or an activity. I love that. Amir, this has been fantastic. Thank you so much for your time. Uh, we're going to, you know, uh, wrap up the lesson in a moment and I'll, I'll, I'll everybody who's listening, I'm going to, uh, let you know where you can learn more about Amir as well as, you know, uh, Doist to Doist the app as well as Twist to get your asynchronous uh, game on and, uh, and run your team with some, uh, with some great uh, practices. Uh, thanks so much, man. It's so, so good to catch up. Omar, thank you for having me. I hope, you know, the listeners can get a bit inspired by just like, you know, the storyline and, and, and uh, yeah. And of course, like if there's anything like I, I'm active on Twitter, Amix3K, you're very welcome to reach out uh, as a listener. And yeah, so yeah, thank you for having me here. And I also, you know, to see 
each other somewhere like maybe on Bali again let's hope <laughs> let's do yeah. it <laughs> yeah awesome catching up support for today's show comes from Aura Frames if the pandemic taught us anything, it's that connection to the people we love most is what really matters. The everyday moments where life really happens. Aura Smart Frames brings those moments to the forefront of our daily life, making it easy to share photos and feel closer from anywhere in the world. Beautifully designed and easy to set up. And one of Oprah's favorite things, 2021, three years running. An Aura Frame is the perfect holiday gift. How do I know? Well, I gifted an Aura Frame to my mother-in-law. It's super, super simple to set up. She loves that it looks gorgeous and she gets to see her photos anytime, all the time, as she's walking through the house. You can even personalize it by preloading photos for a surprise that will have them crying tears of joy. Every frame comes in a beautiful gift box. You can upload over 10,000 photos and videos and invite as many people as you like to a single frame. The high resolution screen makes your photos look their best and doesn't look like a screen at all. Plus, react to photos with cute emojis to send love, congratulations, and more. There's never been a better time to buy. Take advantage of Aura's best deal of the year with Black Friday slash Cyber Monday pricing now through November 30th. Visit AuraFrames.com now to get gifting. That's A-U-R-A frames.com. Plus, listeners use code 100MBA to take $30 off Aura's best-selling digital frames. That's code 100MBA. What a fantastic discussion with Amir Selfandich. I'm so happy I got him on the podcast. I've been wanting to have this discussion with him, share this discussion with you for some time. I've known him for a few years now. I follow him on Twitter. I love his work. I love the things that his team produces. Every interaction I've had with him has been nothing but professional. What I love about Amir the most is that he makes up his own rules, meaning he doesn't do things just because everybody else is doing them. He asks himself, is this something I want to do? Does this benefit me? Is there a reason why I'm doing this that is actually rooted in fact? Does it actually go along with what I want to do in my life, my lifestyle? And he builds the rules based on that. I also love how humble he is. He comes from humble beginnings as his family migrated from war-torn Bosnia, grew up in Denmark, struggled in school, as you heard, and now an incredible successful entrepreneur but he's still grounded. He still makes time for family, makes time for breaks, makes time for holidays, and makes time to give back by being on today's show. Guys, I got a bit of homework for you. If you haven't downloaded the Todoist app, I want you to do that because it's absolutely free. And the reason why I want you to do it is not just to support Amir and his work, but just because you're going to learn a ton by what a great product looks like. The onboarding, the experience, the communication, the messaging. Also, it's just a fantastic app. I have it on my phone. It's a great way to go through to-dos. I use it for all my personal to-dos, but you can use it for both professional and personal to-dos. And you're going to learn a ton by using a great product. If you want to learn more about Amir and his work, go to doist.com. That's D-O-I-S-T.com. There you can find links to the app Todoist as well as Twist. If you want to learn more about asynchronous work, I highly recommend you check out the Twist website and the blog, as well as follow Amir on Twitter. That wraps up today's lesson. Thanks so much for being a part of it. If you liked 
today's episode and its format and you want to hear more extended interviews, let us know. Hit me on Twitter, the Omar Zenhome on Twitter, and let me know what you think of this episode as well as the, the format in general. Before I go, I want to leave you with this. One of the things I learned from Derek Sivers in his book, Anything You Want, is when you're starting a business, you're building your own utopia. And it's just a great concept. You make the rules. You shape your business. You get to do what you want, how you want it. That's all the positives of being an entrepreneur. A lot of entrepreneurs forget that. I mean, there's a lot of hard work. There's a lot of sacrifice, a lot of long hours. But the positives are that you can create whatever you want. Don't forget that. This is your business. You get to do what you want, how you want it. Thanks so much for listening, and I'll check you in tomorrow's episode. See you then. Take care. Mm -hmm.